1: To the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the third installment in our Candyman movie review series. Today we are reviewing Candyman Day of the Dead. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. And we have reviewed the previous two Candyman films. We're now reviewing the third one leading up to the honestly unexpected fourth film. Our review for that comes out next week. I got to say I'm excited for this. I had not really seen these movies aside from the first one, but I'm excited for the fourth one because Jordan Peele is attached to it. I'm curious what how many of how many of our listeners have actually seen these movies, how many are watching along with us. They're not these movies aren't terribly difficult to get your hands on, but I just don't think a lot of people know about them. So, nevertheless, it has been interesting going through these movies, and now we are coming to The end of a trilogy, I guess you could say. I don't know how this new movie is going to tie into these, but this is kind of capping off the trilogy. The series has laid dormant for over 22 years until it is now finally being resurrected. But you can find links to the Candyman reviews in the description below, links to our Patreon page, um, timestamps if you want to jump ahead, um, and all kinds of other great stuff. And while you're at it, make sure to leave us a five-star review and a short written review as well. That definitely really helps us. It's a great free way to do that. Alan, did you even know there was a third Candyman film?
0: No. I and like I said, last time, I didn't really even know that there was a second movie until we got into this retrospective. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, necessarily. Uh, I think like a lot of these uh, horror movies sometimes will dip into straight-to-home video. So it doesn't surprise me that we're here, uh, necessarily. But uh, I cannot say that I knew that Candyman Day of the Dead existed until we began this retrospective.
1: Candyman is one of those weird ones where it never quite caught on like Friday the 13th nightmare on Elm street or Halloween, which we have reviewed all the Halloween films and we will be reviewing Halloween kills here in a couple months. So you want to make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on that. But Candyman never really had that sort of life. It just kind of fizzled out with the third one being straight to video and none of the Halloween movies were ever straight to video I don't believe any of um, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th were either. They were all theatrical, no matter how poorly they did. They were always resurrected somehow. And Candyman, as we said, is coming back to theaters after, oh gosh, um, coming back to theaters after 26 and a half years about that. It's pretty crazy. Um, I am curious though, Alan would this third one let's just say you somehow were watching tv i guess and you somehow saw the trailer i had no idea how much they promoted this movie um at at the end of the 90s would this trailer get you to go down to your local blockbuster on a friday night and check out the third film
0: uh not necessarily Mm, uh, given what happened with the previous movie um where we kind of were not very big fans of it at the end of the day I wouldn't necessarily be too enthused to go see a direct-to-home video Candyman sequel. Uh, So, I would probably skip on this one. Maybe if I, you know, heard down the grapevine that it was, you know, so bad that it's good, maybe I would see if a group of friends would like to see it. But that would be probably as far as it goes. Um, I would not try to necessarily seek this one out too hard or at all. So... (laughs) In the trailer itself, uh, it doesn't really help either. It kind of just feels like generic, scary movie to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So definitely if I saw this, I would be like, why are they making, first first off, why are they making a third one? And secondly, I think I'm going to skip. I don't think I'm necessarily going to spend too much time tracking it down, if it even is at the blockbuster near me or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, when she's saying his name with the music and nothing happens in the trailer, there's a portion in the trailer. I think that portion's good. Otherwise, I think this looks like slasher trash. I wouldn't pick this up from my local Hollywood video or Blockbuster, but I don't even know if I would pick it up just to kind of make fun of it with you and some other friends like we've done before. I mean, we rented The Curse of La Llorona, but that was purely to make fun of the movie, not because we had any serious interest in watching it. I don't even think judging by the trailer it works on that level unfortunately which is too bad I mean after a certain while horror movies they start stop retaining their you know serious nature and then they go more so into camp um this movie still looks like it's trying to be serious and emulate a lot of other horror movies that have already come out way before it so it sounds like neither of us would be very interested in seeing this movie and that's Probably why they didn't try and put it in theaters. Right. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Candyman Day of the Dead, as of this recording, it is on Hulu. That's how I watched it. So you can go check it out over there. Um, I do believe you can pick it up on DVD. It's it's honestly probably not very expensive. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want it spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause and then come back and click play here after you've watched the movie and we'll be ready to talk about all of the spoilers. Sometime in the 2020s, I guess, believe it or not, Carolyn McKeever, played by Donna DeRecco, daughter of Paul and Annie from the previous film, is having visions of her great-great-grandfather, the Candyman, reprised by Tony Todd. The only problem is he's been dead for centuries and defeated for decades. Last we saw her, she was a small child living in New Orleans with her mother, but now she's all grown up and relocated to Los Angeles. One night after a showing of the Candyman's paintings, which Caroline inherited, she sticks up for a relative, declaring him not a monster, but a misunderstood man. As she walks home, he visits her, because she doubted him. Miguel, played by Marc Adair Rios, is murdered, and she is left distraught, questioning everything. She remembers her mother, recast by Elizabeth Hayes, still terrified of the myth, knowing he'll still come back. And two hours later, she was dead from apparent suicide. Miguel's friend David, played by... I don't even know how to say this name. J.S.U. Garcia, who pretended to be a crazed Candyman supporter at the gallery at the behest of Miguel, is investigated by the corrupt cop Detective Samuel Kraft, played by Wade Williams. The two team up to find out whether a gang is possibly behind the murders. They visit Tino, played by Mike Moroff, who is a local leader, more on him later. David takes Caroline to visit with his grandmother who is a supernatural healer but when she is shown a bad omen Abuela gives her the advice there can only be bad with good and good with bad. While leaving the apartment Samuel confronts David in the hallway and tells Caroline she makes him sick because he is jealous she is running around with someone non-white. Back at her apartment, the two share an intimate moment until the Candyman appears, saying no one will be safe unless she surrenders to him. Her roommate, Tamara, played by Alexia Robinson, is promptly murdered, and when she is taken into custody by Detective LV Sacco, played by Robert O'Reilly, he puts her in a cop car, handcuffs her, but the Candyman appears and murders the detective. Caroline, who is seemingly trapped, is barely able to escape with her life. She flees to Abuela, who tells her she must destroy his good. There can be no bad without the good. But the cops are hot on her trail. She runs through the day of the dead party, still seeing horrifying visions of Candyman murdering her mom. At Abuela's, she calls Tino for help. He tells her he has one of the gang members they were seeking and he wants to speak with her. She goes to the bar, but is tricked and kidnapped to an abandoned building where she is offered as a sacrifice by the new congregation, whom we saw some of at the gallery. They are goth freaks who summon the hooded fiend. He murders them all, only sparing Caroline, offering her a deal, David's life for hers. Caroline rescues David, but finds fighting Candyman pointless, seemingly relenting to his incestuous desires. But she doesn't give up. She rushes his painting and rips it apart, destroying the good and the bad, finally defeating Candyman once and for all. But she still must contend with Detective Samuel, who has lost his badge from pulling a gun on an innocent bystander at the day of the Dead Festival. Drunk and distraught from losing his job and his ego, he dons the Candyman persona. But Detective Matthews, played by Ernie Hudson Jr., who received a derogatory comment from Samuel earlier, saves the day by shooting him in the back. Remembering her mother's words about destroying the myth, she blames the murders on Samuel, thereby destroying the myth so no one will call his name again. But sometime after, basking in her newfound victory, Candyman smashes his hook through her mirror, causing her to wake in a cemetery where David and his daughter are. They sit by her mother's grave as audiences are left to write their own ending, as credits roll.
0: So... Yeah. Uh <laughs> it's a movie. It's a movie. It's an interesting <laughs> movie at that. Um okay, I guess I'll start with my first positive.
1: Yes. It's, it's going to a-
0: sound kind of weird. Okay. Uh, and we might see why here in a second. <laughs> but the final scene like you just talked about, um when Candyman thrusts his hook through the the mirror again and Mm -hmm. Uh, Caroline wakes up next to a tree and she goes and sits by uh, David and his daughter. The music that plays in that scene, I actually kind of like. It's the only time where I felt like the music stuck out to me, I guess. Um, And we'll talk about the music here in a bit. But that was the one part where I was like, okay, I actually do kind of like the score that is playing over this scene. Uh, It's different than everything else. It's a lot more subtle. You know, it actually sounds pretty good. So that's my first positive. The music in that scene, again, kind of specific, kind of weird, but I kind of like it.
1: So that's interesting you bring up the music because um, Philip Glass is not back composing. He did compose the first two films. We've got a new guy here, Adam Gorgoni. I don't think I've ever heard anything that he has done before. Um, a lot of TV, some lesser known movies. I, I actually do own, I guess, um, uh, kind of a documentary of sorts that he composed music for, uh, Alice upside down. I guess I've seen that movie. So kind of, kind of nobody has ever really heard of this guy, which, you know, goes along with the rest of the cast and crew. It probably just came cheap. Um, uh, I don't know, Alan. I, I don't really remember the music in there, in that section. I'll, I'll have to go back and watch that. I'm curious because a lot of this music just didn't stick out to me. Philip Philip Glass's score was so memorable from the first two films that I was, I, I, I guess I was kind of disappointed we weren't getting that. But there was there was that little bit at the end that was there. I'm actually going to go back to the very beginning. I actually find the very beginning of this film to be very creepy. It's somewhat nonsensical but creepy it's the opening is nearly silent so f- from at least the very very opening i was somewhat pulled into this film i guess you could say or i could you i guess you could say my interests were peaked at the very least so it started off on the right foot i think
0: yeah i i can agree with that i think that the opening here is pretty interesting um it's a dream that will come back too many times in this movie uh whether or not our main character is, you know, dreaming or not and this Mm -hmm. one specifically. But you're right. It does kind of build some intrigue where she's in like this purely white bathroom uh, and something's up with the tub. And we kind of piece together that her mom died in the tub and it's like a reoccurring dream that she has. Uh, So I'll agree with that. I think you're right. This opening is kind of interesting. Uh, It does kind of make you wonder what in the world is this about? Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that the opening is pretty interesting as well.
1: I will say the one thing the opening kind of sets us up for that the story never really runs with it, but it could be taken as a callback to the first film. I honestly would have preferred this movie to have been more of a Shutter Island type situation where you come to find out that it was actually the daughter in the very end who murdered her mom because she, the daughter was had become obsessed or influenced or somehow the Candyman persona was working through the daughter. And I think that would have been far more of a psychological thriller than what we're given here. Um, I really like that idea. I think that would have been interesting as if the Candyman really wasn't real this whole time and it's just some, you know plague that's followed these family through the years through this lineage um I, I think they could have ran with that they don't they don't run with it um but at least i do like how the candyman myth continues down through the lineage but it has also per um like perpetrated itself into other cultures because now we have last time we had the Mardi Gras type thing which made sense how they wove the Candyman into that and they weren't really strongly tied it just so happened to take place um, kind of around the festival but now it's right. also perpetrated itself into Day of the Dead and it's kind of very ominous how in different cultures and stuff Candyman is embedding himself he's kind of this false god that is taking over these other quasi religious things
0: yeah I think that is interesting you know, that we're going for something that deals with death, right? Mardi Gras, mm, not necessarily death, more of, you know, something completely different. Uh, This time around, since he is, in the last few movies, he's always tried to draw in the main lead to uh, basically kill them, right? Like That's his Mm -hmm. whole draw is to draw, to kind of influence them and try and draw them in and then eventually kill them. this one kind of, at least it has something to do with, you know, life and death, good and evil, you know, black and white, for example. Uh, there are a lot of dichotomies in this in this story that we have here, and this is one of them. I think maybe it ties a little bit deeper in than what happened last time with Marty Gras, like you are saying. Uh, it does tie in a little bit deeper, not by a whole lot, but... Deeper nonetheless, I guess.
1: And so kind of going with that motif, it does tie back into the first movie of destroying the myth, where that's really the only way to end Candyman is to bring an end to the myth. And that's the whole reason Candyman even appears to Helen is nobody's sure if he's even real. And then once they get that guy Mm -hmm. in the bathroom with the hook, it kind of dispels the myth that it really is just a flesh and blood man. There's nothing supernatural about it. But Candyman appears because he was obliged to come because he made the congregation – she made the congregation lose faith, which was always such a fascinating thing that they dealt with in the original one. And at least they are pulling that back from the original. There is this myth, and the mom realizes the only way to destroy Candyman is to destroy the myth. And that's seemingly what they do here – at the end of this movie is they blame it on him and they really do try and bury the myth. So I appreciate they are trying to somewhat come full circle. It's mostly a sequel to the second one. It's the little girl at the end, all grown up, but at least they are pulling in some of those themes from the first one. So I'll give them points for trying.
0: Yeah, that that is true. They, they do try to pull in that, you know, destroy the myth thing from that original one. Uh, whether or not they succeed at that um we'll get in i guess we'll talk about it in a little bit but you're right i mean they do bring in some of those things from the original
1: and that's where my positives end that's where my yeah. positives end
0: yeah my positives ended with uh, i like the music at the beginning <laughs> and then the other thing that we talked about at the beginning or sorry the music at the end and then the other thing we talked about with uh, the opening that's where my <sighs> stuff ended
1: uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, that's really all that I could find that I really liked about this movie. I mean, I was disappointed mm-hmm. in a, in a couple of things. I think there are too many Candyman recaps, considering the original was released just seven years prior. Um, yeah, I don't really like how Annie's character is handled. I think it really undermines Candyman too, Andy. Annie was the main character of the second one. I think it undermines that characterization. And um, Candyman's intercut monologue isn't scary. It's just fairly rote. It's just kind of bland, I think.
0: Yeah, they retell, for whatever reason, they retell the Candyman story twice in mm-hmm. like a matter of a few minutes in this movie because it kind of opens with, uh, what is it? It's it's with the two roommates talking about it, uh, Caroline and her roommate Tamara. And then at the art gallery, then Miguel starts telling the story again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They recap the same story like twice within a few minutes. Uh, And you're right. The constant flashing to things that happened before, flashing to the actual Man thing that happened way back in the past. You know, those flashes to things that happened beforehand or they get kind of tiring because they happen a ton in this movie. Like, Every other uh, scene has at least one of them. It almost feels like they're everywhere and they get kind of annoying after a while because they will go ham there towards the end.
1: Yeah, that's very true. So I was disappointed by those things. Honestly, at this point, I'm really tired of getting Candyman's backstory. It's mentioned once in the first film and it is kind of this bizarre, horrifying tale. And then it just keeps getting brought up and up. Instead of playing that to their strengths, which they could have definitely brought it up how people are almost enjoying telling this horrifying story that really happened. Like people really did this to that really happens to Daniel Robotai. And I think they could have played into that definitely humanizing him more, which is something that they should have done. We talked about this in the in the second one. They should mm-hmm. have humanized him more, almost made him a far more empathetic character than they really ever tried to do. But nevertheless, I would say that's the worst sin against this movie is I think how they handle Annie's character. I feel how they rewrite her where Annie was victorious. She defeated the Candyman and then to have her character go out through suicide or how the candy man murders her or something like that. I really felt like that just took the wind out of the sails of the second one, which isn't the first time we've seen this before at silver screen guide reviewing movies.
0: You're right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The way that they handle Annie in this movie, uh, is, I guess kind of disappointing. I mean, since I wasn't a very big fan of the second one, I didn't really care, uh, how they handled Annie, but you are still correct. The way that, you know, Annie's character is still handled is not very good because you're right. She was victorious in that previous movie. Why all of a sudden did she uh, did she die at Candyman? Uh, that caused some of the events that happened in this movie. Uh, why would they go down that route? I don't understand. Yeah, and in fact, you know, they have this relationship again, right? You know, now we have Annie was a descendant of Candyman. And she had a daughter, Caroline, in this one. And so she's the great-great-granddaughter of Candyman, right? Fine, whatever. But why? Why do they have to go down this familial route again um, instead of kind of making this his own thing, kind of like with the first one? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why? I I really want to know why they would go down the same familial route again outside of that's just the easiest route to go from the movie that came before this.
1: Yes, you're exactly right. And don't get me wrong. I don't mind multi-generational trilogies when they're done right. The mm-hmm. Star Wars trilogy is not one of them. I personally think they really botched it in the sequel trilogy with Rey and Palpatine and all that crap. And I, you know what? I don't care if you haven't seen it and they just spoiled it for you. It's not any good. So this is kind of like that. It doesn't further Candyman's yeah. character or purpose. That's probably the biggest thing that I think is wrong with this third film plot-wise, not character-wise, but plot-wise, is it's mostly a rip-off of the first movie. It's mostly a poor sci-fi channel B-movie recreation of the first movie, even down to some of Candyman's lines and dialogue and just things that he does. It's fairly much a rip-off, which is disappointing. (laughs) Uh, There's no point.
0: And the way that they, you know, handle Candyman, kind of like what you were just talking about, the way they handle him, he just kind of shows up whenever. Um, It feels like every time Carolyn, well, I I was almost going to say almost every time that she's alone that he shows up, but that's not necessarily true because there are times when he randomly shows up either in the crowd or when she's with David. He Mm -hmm. just kind of shows up whenever the plot kind of needs him um, to, I guess, spook her and then you know, show that, oh, it was all a dream or something like that uh, for Carolyn. Uh, (laughs) He just kind of shows up whenever he wants with really no rhyme or reason. He just kind of does and then leaves and our main character wakes up, wakes up somewhere else. Uh, The way that they handle his character here is kind of is, again, disappointing because he's essentially written to be a lot more generic, a lot more uh, cliche, I guess. Um, because before, you know, it was somewhat rare to see him in those first two movies. Like he was still definitely there, like no, like definitely there, but it was rare to actually get him to show on screen, uh, because every time he did, he had a pretty good reason to be there. Whereas with this one, if it was like every time they want to spice it up a little bit, I guess they pull in Candyman and there you go.
1: That's right. He does actually appear to her 20 minutes in. Um, when she's down in the subway, uh, it's mostly ripoff dialogue. They're literally just reappropriating it from the first movie. And then he's just gone. And he, he comes floating in on bees, which I, which may have been cool, but it looks so bad and takes me out of it because they don't have the uh, visual effects budget here. And That's a really good point, Alan. Candyman was always coming for a purpose, for a region. I was obliged to come, he said in the original Mm -hmm. one. And even in the second one, this one is really just no reason. And he's also able to manifest visions. I don't think that was ever a thing because she keeps seeing her mom with her – her mom's naked, first of all, and and her throat slashed
0: open. Yeah.
1: And it's really – doesn't work. It doesn't work.
0: Uh, yeah, it definitely doesn't. And that's another thing, too, is that, you know, previous movies, they've had, you know, nudity. Like, that's not necessarily anything new to the Candyman movies. Um, this one just kind of goes over the top with it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot, basically, every scene that there is, so much like, okay, but why? You know, which is kind of right. weird because, like, the original Candyman movie it tried to have a stronger female character without having to flaunt the body of said female character or other characters mm-hmm. to, you know, be like every other horror movie. Whereas yeah. with this one, not, not just a nudity, although that is part of it, it kind of devolves into that generic, like every other horror movie ever made formula, it feels like, uh, oh, which yeah. is funny because the first one was trying to be not that.
1: This one is fairly exploitative with its nudity, with its violence, with its incredibly cliché and rote things. We get mean, semi-racist cops again, um, which is Mm -hmm. a holdover from the second one. Um, Also, like I mentioned, the visual effects are bad once again. Uh, The editing is bad. I hate this. I call it machine gun editing where it's just really, really fast, and it sounds like they just put bullet shots over the editing transitions. I don't like it at all.
0: Yeah. You brought up the cops. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the cops. Specifically Kraft. um, I think that's his name. Uh, Of course, he's meant to be a sexist, racist person. He's meant to be the one that abuses his powers as a cop. They even state at one point that you know he was apparently investigated for police brutality five times um <laughs> is what i think david says uh and which is still kind of got ridiculous. his job except this still time. got his job yeah do they go- i think they go too far with this like oh yeah like to a point where it's just like it's it's almost as if it's played for laughs like it's over the top to be you know um what's the word a, a satirical take on this kind of a thing mm-hmm. um it's in some ways, it's almost funny because of how they handle his character. He's meant to be like a bad character. I don't know why he's here, but it is distracting, I would say nonetheless.
1: Yeah, this this the creators behind this either need to lean into the exploitation aspects and make this an exploitation movie, as you were saying, more so kind of a cliche playing on those tropes on purpose mm. but to me it seems like they're trying to be serious to me it seems like they are legitimately trying to make a serious installment in the Candyman franchise and actually conclude the trilogy here um right. but you're right this cop is over the top he's far more intrusive into these characters than i ever would have expected him to be coming in the beginning of this movie i had no idea he would be such a pivotal role in fact they blame the Candyman murders on him which i don't necessarily don't like i somewhat think that's an interesting idea that this corrupt bad guy you know he already had a terrible you know reputation anyways Mm -hmm. um he gets to be the bad guy um ernie hudson jr's character who comes in here at the end and shoots him that was kind of weird he was only in like the very beginning and then he just pops up at the end he uh, was in
0: the middle a little bit. He had that, he had that scene when they're running through the crowd uh, when Kraft pulls out his gun on the guy who's wearing the yeah. white wife beater and the blonde wig. <laughs> uh, and then he comes in and, and punches him and that's essentially how he loses his job. But you're right, that it's the somewhat beginning when he's introduced uh, and then this middle part when he comes back again. And then right at the end, he shows up to save the day. Uh, those are the three times. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's enough. I don't know.
1: If you're going to have a bad cop, then you need to have a good cop, which they do, but they're not in conflict. They're not in parallel enough here to really kind of drive that point home or make an impact. The, this, this movie does do something which we really haven't quite seen before is it pairs up a male and female lead that try and take down Candyman together. Or at least the female lead, it kind of flips the whole damsel in distress motif on its head. And, um, she's the one that saves the day. And the first one, our two, uh, husband and wife characters were at odds. In the second one, the husband is loving, but taken out quickly. And it becomes, you know, the the female empowerment show where she has to take him down. And this one's somewhat of the same Mm -hmm. thing, except she pairs up with David. The only problem is they become chummy too quickly and they have no chemistry whatsoever.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, you're right. And this one also, while the original did have a lot of that, you know, strong female character elements to it, They try to do that here, like you were talking about, Um, but I feel like it comes off as she's strong, but also only to a point, because there are a lot of scenes where she's screaming and (laughs) she doesn't have a very good scream, I don't think. Uh, Uh, So it it kind of feels like they're trying, but at the same time, they don't go all the way with it. So it makes her character feel kind of weird where you're right, she is meant to be, you know, the knot and damsel in distress and she saves the day, but at the same time, she also screams a lot and uh, gets into these weird psychological fits um, when Candyman shows up. It's a weird way that they handle Carolyn in this movie compared to the other female leads in the previous movies.
1: Yeah, it's very weird. Um, To me, it's just quite muddled. Virginia Madsen's character in the first one, was more so of that damsel in distress. But she was also this kind of sacrificial character as well. This sacrificial virgin Mary type character, you could say. They're clearly mm-hmm. trying to pull from some of those things. and they they did a lot with her kind of being seduced by Candyman, which was interesting. The second one, I, I really liked the female lead in the second one as well. Um, she was caring in a different kind of way. Um, of course, once you find out that's Candyman's granddaughter, these are his granddaughters, and there still is this incestuous thing going on. It's kind of strange, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't like in the second one, they didn't really define Candyman's purpose. And this one, I really don't understand his purpose whatsoever. Um, coming back to yeah. his seemingly only living relative, his only living ancestor, there's really just not much that he does here. Um, they do introduce kind of an semi-interesting concept, the cult of the candyman, which is yeah brought up in the art gallery. We see two of these kind of goth figures at the art gallery. They have nothing to do there except Except they can quote him, what is blood except for shedding? I have no idea how in the world they know that quote, considering Candyman never told that quote to anyone. Um, and then at the very end, they just come back. I don't know why there are these goth people that were... It's a far cry from Cabrini Green. And honestly, I yeah. feel like I'm back in Dario Argento's Mother of Tears, and I'm worried what kind of movie we've just devolved into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When... Th- so, speaking of that, actually, speaking of that gang uh, that steal all those paintings, uh, this is at the beginning of the movie, uh, I guess not really the beginning, but after Miguel dies and Carolyn was under investigation and David was under investigation, David comes and visits her and talk or whatever because he thought that he ratted her out or, yeah, they, he thought that she ratted him out, mm-hmm. whatever... They, Carolyn says, let's go find the gang who stole the paintings. And David said, "Okay, whatever. So they go to a (laughs) bar because David knows a guy. And then Carolyn has a fit. And then the movie completely forgets that subplot of them finding the the gang who stole the paintings until about 20 minutes from the end or so, when uh, Carolyn finally finds the gang who stole the paintings. Um, And then, of course, no more than a few minutes after that, they're all dead. They completely dropped that subplot for like a a good chunk of the runtime until the very end of the movie.
1: Yeah, and it has no payoff whatsoever. Right. Because Candyman comes and slays them all except for her. That was, I always thought that was highly strange how they just hypothesize that it was a gang that murdered Miguel and stole some of the. I wasn't even clear on the paintings being stolen. They didn't seem to really reinforce that point either. Mm -hmm. We have no understanding of why these people, why they're goths, why they want to, you know, worship Candyman or whatever, be his new disciples. No motivation behind this whatsoever. No understanding whatsoever. And it doesn't really make much sense because this is trying to tie into Hispanic culture in Los Angeles, the day of the dead. And then instead of it being some kind of hispanic gang trying to blend it into their their culture there is um santa santa muerto the saint of death they could have tied it into that and they don't they don't tie it in at all what in the world does a gothic gang have to do <laughs> with the day of the dead it doesn't make any sense and i thought oh this yep. is the climax no he just kills them all and she gets she has to go save david and i'm like well what was the point of any of that
0: Right. Speaking of Candyman killing them all, I'm pretty sure this has the highest kill count of any uh, oh, Candyman yeah. movie so far. Definitely. Because really, the kill count has been rather low for the last two. And the reason why is because it's been more characters that are closer uh, to the main character that end up, you know, succumbing and being murdered by the Candyman. Um, and for a good reason. Uh there is maybe I think total three or four that maybe die in the first two, those first two movies, right? Pretty small. This one, I counted, I think it has around 10 um, because of course you've got mom in the beginning, uh, Carolyn's mom. Then -hmm. you've got Miguel, Miguel's girlfriend, and then you've got Carolyn's roommate, Tamara, and then you've got the entirety of the emo gang, which I counted to be around five or six members. So that's like what, 10, 11 people in total. That's Mm -hmm. like double of the other Kenny movies. Uh, when it comes to his kill count yep that's that was true. kind of interesting i feel like again that's just kind of especially when it came to the the gang i feel like it's just it's getting it's dipping his toes into that just cliche horror uh camp unfortunately which again the first movie was kind of trying to get away from
1: yes that, that is a good point um the deaths you could you could say they're more meaningless i feel like the deaths yeah in the first yeah. two had more of a meaning more of a heart-wrenching outcome whereas this is uh, the only death I really cared about was that her mom died and that was kind of a shocking revelation swift kick in the pants to learn from the second film but Mm -hmm. you're right it is more meaningless which is frustrating and yeah I mean you bring up a good point about the gang subplot just being dropped in the second act To me, that was always this weird hypothesis they came up with where it's like, hey, do you want to team up and go around Los Angeles and try and find out about gangs? Like, you know what? These gangs will kill you if you try and get in their way. I don't know what in the world you think you're going to solve by playing detective because I mean, there is good um, detectives. Um, There there are bad ones and there's good ones. But yeah, it is really weird how she goes to Abuela's house at the end. And she calls Tino or Tino calls her and he's like, hey, one of those gang members is down here that says he wants to talk with you. It's really out of left field and it doesn't make any sense. She just rides with him in the car. Um, Weird subplot diversion. Definitely right. It's very weird. But, you know, it is also disappointing that I think... This um ending is just kind of a rip off of the second one where they're kind of running through the Mardi Gras party now they're running through a Day of the Dead party and it's just like really yep. you couldn't think of anything else um yeah I- I am curious, though, Alan, what did you think about her defeation of Candyman through ripping up his painting? That seemed to be the last kind of good thing he had left in the world. That was something he loved doing. And so, I mm. mean, I'm kind of glad they brought back in the paintings, but what did you think of that? Is it much different from the mirror?
0: I f- see, I feel like the mirror, because of the way they handled it, had a much bigger impact on the film, Right. This one, they mentioned the Candyman paintings. They mentioned that they got stolen. Um, But that's really about as far as it goes. I mean, they kind of try, it feels like, to make them mean something. But when it all comes down to it, they don't really mean a whole lot. And it's brought up that our main character is, you know, a painter. Um, She pulls off this art gathering. We see her drawing at the beginning when she wakes up from that dream that she has. Um, So if they had pulled it in something like that, you know, And for a brief moment, when they first get to the art gallery and like the actual show of it, um, I thought they maybe they were going to go down the road of, you know, separating the artist from the art that they make. For a brief moment, I thought they were going to go down that road. And maybe that could tie into our main character and how ripping up the paintings is ripping up the rest, the remaining legacy of Candyman. They kind of go down that route not necessarily down the route of separating art from the artist, but that's, I think, what they're going for, but when it all comes down to it, I could really care less because I don't see how, I I don't feel how important those paintings really are when it's all said and done.
1: I definitely think it's not terrible, but you're right, it really isn't anything very firm we can grasp onto or really even care mm-hmm. about or honestly even make sense of because when um, she gets this advice from the abuela and abuela says you can't have bad without good and you can't have good without bad and I'm just kind of rolling my eyes and scratching my head at yeah. that and I I mean it, it's kind of interesting how they're tying the paintings in because he was a painter they're reaching for something there but ultimately, we're kind of left meaningly, meaningless with it all, which is it's just disappointing because I think throughout this trilogy, there's been some solid ideas about his lineage and all these implications and whatnot. And it's like they're really close to like grasping the sun to like really getting it. And it's just like they fall short every time. Yeah. Almost it seems like. Right.
0: What are your thoughts on the... I guess blaming all of the uh, essentially be ridding of the Candyman legacy, be, be ridding of the Candyman name, and blaming it all on craft. What what are your thoughts on that? Because I have some thoughts, but I want to know what you think of it.
1: Um, I, I like it better when they did it in the dark night and Bat- Batman took the fall <laughs> for a two phase, but yeah. I feel like this is quite cliche. This is something. We've seen before where it's like they can never know the truth and we will have to hide the truth and that will actually save the day, not by telling the truth. I mean, on- honestly, I guess I never really like it. Um, That's kind of this weird postmodern sensibility of, mm. you know, n- telling a lie is actually better than telling the truth. Of course, they don't get into any of these postmodern existential thoughts whatsoever it's it's more so just he's more so just a scapegoat honestly yeah um in some ways i do like it where he says i am Candyman," and he picks up the hook and he tries to kill her and then he dies and then they put it all on him it's kind of it kind of just straight up comes out of left field but um i don't i think in some ways it works and i think in some ways like i said it's just kind of like A little messy trying to have multiple endings here where she just slashes his painting and he utterly bursts into, he like rips apart and is destroyed like he's Voldemort in Harry Potter 2 or something. Um, But then it kind of undermines that actually, if you think about it, because she just destroyed him, but now they have to blame the murders on this guy so he won't come back. It's totally nonsensical.
0: Yeah, right. They have to destroy him again, I guess. They well, got to make sure that he's a for reals dead. Uh, I agree. I th- <laughs> Personally, I think this, this ending is kind of stupid. Um, and the reason why I say that is because the goal of Kraft's character, which I finally figured out at the end of this movie... Um, The goal and the reason why his character exists was for this only reason, was to have him be the fall guy for all of the crimes uh, that were committed by the legend of Candyman, right? Um, And that's why they make him out to be like the worst guy ever. Uh, The worst guy on the planet who is a racist, a sexist, and et cetera, is for this reason alone. Um, That's kind of silly, I think, just because they try real hard to make him the worst guy ever. But at the same time, you know... While she can try and blame, you know, what Candyman did on him that destroys the legacy of Candyman or the legend of Candyman, you know, is there even evidence to like s- to go along with that, that he really did all of those things? Uh, you know, how is that going to work when it comes to the court? Uh, that's those are the questions that I have. Um, And I don't think this movie really does anything to try and justify that. It's more of just like going for the thematic element, which is, well, he's gonna be the fall guy for all of this. So we destroy the legacy forever of Candyman. Like, okay, <laughs> whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like they're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too. They needed to yeah. pick, they really needed to pick one or the other. I was personally satisfied with Candyman coming to an end in Candyman 2 and just leaving it at yeah. that. He's magically back somehow because the myth still lives. okay, I, I I get that. Um, but once again, it is undermining her destroying him because the myth is still somehow going to live. I get what they're doing, like you're saying. It's more of a thematic thing. This is in some ways, candyman's, you know, justification. It's his redemption. Candyman was created by what do you want to say murderers these sexist these racist type people and then he Mm. is kind of unmade the legend is unmade by those same people that's the downfall he's the same guy he's the same kind of person that would have been out there cutting his hand off in the first place so on a thematic you know metaphorical level i like that whole you know what kind of comes around goes around that feels almost very biblical in a sense where You know, like we've, they've tried to tie Candyman into this kind of messianic figure as well. In the New Testament, the Pharisees are talked about how, you know, they're, they're the ones that have the blood of the old prophets on their hands. And now it's going to come back on their head. So I get that. I get that's what they're trying to say here. It's just glossed over so quickly and it's um, so contradictory with endings. And then, of course, they have to completely rip off a nightmare on Elm Street with Candyman shoving his hand through the mirror, which is weird because then they remade Nightmare on Elm Street and probably ripped this off, which is already a ripoff. And I, I don't know. Did you did you like this ending? Did you like how she's standing in front of the mirror and then she wakes up in the cemetery? What do you think of that?
0: Um, I guess I didn't really know what it was going for. Uh, <laughs> I guess now it's asking the question. You know, is Candyman real or not? You know, does he? Did he exist after all of this, or did he not? Uh, is she really there at the gravesite, or is uh, that something uh, totally different? Um. Honestly, I I could really care less at this point. Yeah. Um, but I like the music. Like I said, I like the music here at the ending. Uh, but yeah, that, I guess those are my thoughts on the ending there.
1: You know, I was kind of going along with it, how her victory is seemingly shattered. And then was this all in her mind? Is the whole family been dead? Mm -hmm. Is she the murderer? Did everybody die? We don't know. Um, To me, this is kind of one of those endings where they don't really know how to end the movie. So they have to make it cliche and they have to leave it so open ended that they're trying to make it seem very highfalutin and just very like, oh, man, it's one of those big mind twists at the end. It was all in their mind the whole time. Or was it? We don't know. I don't know. Pick a pick a lane, pick a side. This isn't the kind of movie where they need to be going for that. So I really wasn't too happy with the ending. We, we essentially have three different conclusions to the trilogy. Um, the detective is Candyman. Candyman is ripped apart. Candyman is destroyed by a mirror. And Candyman comes back and he will always live. So I guess there's technically four different ways you could take the end of it all. Yeah. Uh, it's messy. It's messy.
0: Yeah. One last thing. Uh, two, since you did bring up, you know, the sanity of our main character as a question, this movie rolls into, you know, oh, it was a dream the whole time, kind of way too much, way too often. Um, and I get, you know, they're trying to play with a couple of things. I think PTSD is something they keep going back to with this when it comes to the Candyman showing up, um, because of what happened with her mom. And then, you know, we also have, you know, well, is our main character really sane? You know, she just kind of did what we just saw. Did that actually happen or was it kind of all in the mind of our main character? Like, for example, when David comes in uh, and they spend the night hanging out and then things kind of progress from there and then all of a sudden Candyman shows up and then she wakes up on her couch. How when David was there, how far did that go? Like, how much of that was real? Mm -hmm. A lot of those questions kind of come up, right? Which is what happens in the first one they do kind of question you know the sanity of the main character but i feel like the way that they're handled in both of these movies is starkly different because in that first movie when it gets to about the midway point and it cuts and all of a sudden helen wakes up and she's covered in blood and the dog's dead and the baby's gone you're left questioning okay did she just get too wrapped up in this mystery and she became candy man Or was it actually Candyman? And the movie runs with that. Whereas in this one, it doesn't have that same flavor. It's completely different and it doesn't really pull off very well.
1: Yeah, the only movie I think that's done a worse job is this, is the 2020 movie The Turning. Did you see that one, Alan? Mm. The Turning, no, I haven't seen it. Uh, You should dig it up because it's it cannot just pick an ending. It's maybe one of the worst endings I've ever seen. And, you know, Mm. I really enjoy shutter Island. I wish this would have went more so down the shutter Island route, because I think it's definitely kind of leaving us on that shutter Island note of what is the truth? What can we actually believe and get out of this? Unfortunately, it's so sloppy and it's such a half effort that I'm really left with, yeah, they did a lot better job with it in the first one. And I think they could have dug into it here, but they don't. So we are left with just this really half-hearted ending, which I'm, I'm not sure what in the world we're supposed to take from it. And it, if I wasn't already apathetic already, then I really am like, okay, fine. Who cares? Just I, I'm done. The movie's done and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Candyman? Day of the Dead. Uh,
0: I kind of knew what movie I was in for when, when Carolyn goes into town, I forget for what reason, uh, but she stopped by a kid and the kid gives her a skull and then the guy comes out and says, oh, you can just have it, it's fine. And she goes, oh, thank you, mister, and turns back around and the guy's just magically gone. Uh, I kind of knew what I was in for when that scene hit. This is... Unfortunately, a very cliche movie, uh, which is ironic because the original Candyman was trying to go the opposite way of you no, know, not doing everything that every other horror movie has already done from being you know a story that's rather unique in terms of what its villain, the main bad guy, uh, Candyman, his legend, how he interacts with the main character, to the main character herself, who is a rather strong female lead compared to all the other female-led horror movies that just kind of devolved them into a damsel in distress. This one goes backwards. Uh, it feels like it's gone into the cliche realm of horror movies. The main character, while still somewhat retaining a little bit of uh, the you know, the strong female lead, she's still very much a damsel in distress. Um, and of course, the story here is again just kind of over explained in terms of Candyman's backstory. So at the end of the day I cannot say that I found this to be anything interesting. Um, I think that there are bits that are okay that are pretty good like the ending that I thought that I've talked about a couple of times. The beginning is all still kind of pretty is so pretty interesting. But as an overall package, holy cow, uh, not not a very big fan of it. 2 out of 10 uh, very strong not recommend for me.
1: Candyman Day of the Dead was not as bad as I feared. Now, it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I was worried we were going to be watching another Mother of Tears. We've reviewed that. Link below. I'm happy to report it's nowhere near that bad, but this story really has nothing to offer for the Candyman lore. It's largely a rehash of the original with pickings from the sequel. Maybe to some, this will be the best of both worlds, but for me, it's not. At least the second one was somewhat original and tried to further the mythos. This third installment is perfunctory and easily forgotten. Candyman Day of the Dead receives three stars out of ten with a strong not recommend.
0: Kind of a bad way to end the trilogy. Is it really a trilogy or is it like a soft trilogy?
1: You know, it is technically a real trilogy because from the first one, um, the professor is the tie the professor who kicks off the second film, he ties it in with the first film. And then it's pretty clearly stated that um, our main character, Carolyn McKeever is Mm -hmm. um, Paul and Annie's daughter. Um, Paul McKeever was her dad who was promptly murdered in the second film. And so it is a legit trilogy. Um, It's two and three can mostly be taken as a duology, but overall they, um, they, three of them do tie together as far as this new movie coming up i have a feeling it's going to largely ignore two and three and mostly be somewhat of a spiritual sequel to the first one it may Mm. not even tie in with the first one at all and it may just be its own thing i have no idea until we see the movie and review it next week
0: that's what I'm hoping for. I wonder if it'll just kind of go down its own route where it kind of keeps the spirit of that original of Candyman, but does his own thing. I'm yeah. curious to know what it's going to happen with that movie. I hope they go down that route.
1: I, I do too. You know, with Jordan Peele writing it, that gives me so much more hope than any mm. of these other writers. I mean, the only other, okay, Bill Condon didn't even write the second one, which I wish he would have since the next movie he wrote won the Oscar for Pete's sake. Um, so having Jordan Peele here, I have so much more faith that he's going to do something pretty incredible with this thing. I think he's going to breathe new life into it. Judging by all of our scores, uh, the bar is not very high. Um, yeah. Alan, if I'm not mistaken, you gave Candyman two a four. I for some reason I thought I logged it, but it didn't. Um, it didn't save, or maybe I didn't even log yeah. it.
0: I remember giving it a four. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, based off of the trilogy, Alan, you have an average rating of 4 out of 10. I've got a 5 out of 10. Um, For me, it's more so just kind of middle of the line there for the trilogy. Um, I only recommended the first one. Um, If I'm not mistaken, you recommended the first one?
0: I think I did. I think I gave it uh, a slight recommend. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you gave it a 6. So... For you, you're pretty much solid in the red. This isn't any kind of trilogy you would ever recommend to anyone.
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. The only one that's really worth anything is that first one, I feel. The second one has elements to it that, you know, are good yeah. but not recommendable. And of course, we just talked about this one and not really here either.
1: Well, do I even need to ask, Alan, is this a pick up or pass? It's gonna be a pass. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a hard pass for me as well. Well, what other film, TV, video game books, what other recommendations do you have for our listeners? You don't recommend this one, but what else would you recommend they check out instead?
0: <laughs> Scooby Doo and the Monster from Mexico. <laughs> what? Remember watching that as a kid? The, the El Chupacabra? Yep, that's the one.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I
0: haven't seen it for a very long time, <laughs> but they're about the same, I guess, in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, that's my only recommendation.
1: So I'm going to be recommending A Nightmare on Elm Street since I felt this film, the 1984 version, check that one out, Wes Craven. I feel like this was kind of a rip off of that. Um, I'm also going to be recommending Predator 2, another movie that takes place in Los Angeles with a unstoppable killer on the loose. I like the Predator 2 better than this one. And I'm also going to be recommending the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery felt like mm. i got some vibes of that movie watching it here um i think that's better um we have reviewed pet cemetery 2019 i'll make sure to link to that so you can listen to our thoughts on that movie well there would not be a sequel to candy man until 22 years one month and 18 days later since the original came out, the original that Jordan Peele really took inspiration from, it's been 28 years, 10 months, and 11 days since that movie hit theaters. It's, for the most part, been 30 years. Um, Honestly, as we've... Said before, if anybody can resurrect a horror property, it's probably Jordan peele It's crazy yeah. that it's it's sat dormant for so long. I mean, this really put the nail on the coffin, clearly. Nobody ever wanted to return to this.
0: Right. Yeah. It is kind of interesting that no one really tried to mess with the Candyman for a while. Um maybe because after two and then three, the people were kind of burned by it and it wasn't already that popular anyways. But you're right, if anyone can bring back a uh, older, somewhat niche horror movie, Jordan Peele would probably be the perfect person to do it. Um, That's, I think, a good choice. I'm very curious to know what next week is gonna be like.
1: I do feel a little better also. This has the backing of Universal Pictures. Universal Mm -hmm. is putting their name on this film, not Gramercy Pictures and Artisan Entertainment. And right. all these, you know, little-known labels, but Universal's doing it. I'm also curious because this is um, actually directed. This is the first time a woman has written and directed any of the Candyman films. Now it's interesting because female leads have been a strong part of the trilogy. But Nia DaCosta is um, directing this one. She's also writing alongside Jordan Peele. She's a fairly new director on the scene. Um, she did a movie with um, um, well somebody we've reviewed already before a movie called Little Woods I want to say Alan you can correct me if I'm wrong I believe it's on Hulu so I'm going to be checking out um, that film before uh, this one I want to see what she's done before so it is on Hulu it it stars uh, Timma Thompson and Lily James whom I think are both great actresses I really like both of them so I'm curious, this movie came out in 2018. Um, I I don't think she's really done anything else. She did Little Woods, she did a movie called Top Boy, which I guess was actually just a TV show she directed a few episodes on, and Candyman. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna check out Little Woods, I'm curious.
0: I'm gonna see if I can get my hands on the short film that she directed in Hmm. 2020 for Candyman. It's only three minutes. What is that? I'm. There's a short film by Nia DaCosta for Candyman that she directed last year. Really? Uh, Animated animated prequel to Candyman 2020. It recounts the origin tale of the Candyman legend. Oh, okay. I'm Um, curious to check that one out. I wonder if... Well, that came out in 2020, so this movie... I know Candyman was going to come out then, so I was wondering if that was what got her the thing, this gig, but maybe not. Either way, I want to check it out.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try and dig that up, too. I'm very curious. Uh, Looks like she's already been tapped to do the Marvels 2022 sequel to the film Captain Marvel. Um, We're seeing this more often now where um, little known directors are getting huge films. We talked about it with Kong School Island earlier. Um, Chloe Zhao, who just did Nomadland was one best picture. She's doing The Eternals coming out in a few months. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely curious to see where her career goes, and if you know Jordan Peele's behind her, then you know I'm I'm good with that. Um yep. All right, listeners. So the question after the show is: Would you care if people knew your ancestor is an urban legend murderer, or would you rather keep it a secret? Personally, I would much rather keep it a secret. I I don't want anybody knowing if that was my my case.
0: Yeah, I'm with you
1: all right listeners so we want to hear from you about this question we're very curious we do actually have the uh link to the email email us at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com shoot us an email with your answer to the question and we may just read your answer on next week's show so you want to tune in to the show next week to see if we read your question very curious to see what some of you come up with Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will see you next week with Candyman. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. One night after a showing of his paintings, which Caroline inherited, I guess I should Stipulate who he is, not just play the pronoun game. Um, what was his name? Daniel. I don't even remember his real name, so I guess I got to call him Candyman. You don't remember Daniel
0: something or other.
1: Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um, her roommate Tamara, played by Alexia Robinson, is promptly murdered, and when she is taken into custody by Detective LV Sacco, played by Robert O'Reilly is murdered in the cop car. That doesn't make any sense.